I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. Can I even say that? I hear that that term's copyrighted now. <laughs> They're suing <laughs> people to get rid of that. So I am a former uh, church supervisor of auditory worship expression. And I helped destroy Mars Hill Church and don't really know what I believe anymore. And that's fine with me. <laughs> I'm Dave. I cannot top that. I'm a Bible theology nerd, an occasional preacher, a movie buff. I'm very much looking forward to Wes Anderson's new Asteroid City movie. And I'm an evangelical. All right, let's do this. This is Veterans of Culture Wars. Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we have conversations about evangelical Christianity. We welcome you to the podcast, whether you are a believer or not. And this is a great special episode for me because I am reunited, at least over Zoom, to a friend of mine I have not seen since I, I'm pretty sure it's 1997, which was high school, which is dating both of us. Sorry, friend. Um, but we, you know, we were at Kent Meridian High School in Kent, Washington, and uh, he is on our show to talk to us tonight. So I'm very excited about that. He has been a pastor for 15 years in his past. He has also worked and been associated with the Union Gospel Mission. And right now he is a small business owner. Kyle Reynolds is on the show. Hi, Kyle. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. And, that, and um, just just to throw it out there that um that intro music is like what the hell man <laughs> we, we get some looks <laughs> yeah it's that's like Zach's... it's like uh 80s retro nintendo meets i it's it's something i made it on a game boy so yeah <laughs> and other things got thrown in there you know there's good guitar and other stuff but yeah the majority of it was done on, on an original game boy uh yeah thank you so i i can't claim to have known you uh since the 90s um i can't even claim to know you since the five minutes ago's um so i'm just meeting you and i think the the amount of time that dave has known you and the amount of time that i've known you balance out to be a pretty decent overall amount of time for both of us really i yeah. think on average so i think this will work um so you you worked for the Union Gospel Mission for for quite a while and and it is my understanding that you were recently released from an NDA relating to that is that is yeah, that Yeah, I think case? so. You think oh, <laughs> okay. okay. We'll but, find um, out if we hear from their lawyers after yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't how, email me later in the week and say cut all that out. And like how recent like if we'd done this that. interview like a month ago yeah, you've yeah, been like, exactly, I yeah, may have worked changes. for them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, really was that at, recent? I was at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission for five years. Um, part of a, uh, one of the departments called Serve Seattle. It was like a dream job. It was just awesome. I worked with some of my incredibly close friends. And it was basically like a, uh, a it was like a MTV's real world 
meets like urban mission trips. Like, um, so we had an internship, uh, either a year long internship or a, a, a summer internship for young adults. And they lived in a huge house mansion. It was like a, a converted monastery up in Capitol Hill. Um, so that's where the real world um, part came in. And it was just incredible. So I was in charge of kind of the curriculum and lining up speakers and um, um, ministry, ministry experiences. And and they would go out each day to be in their various internships, whether it's um, caring for people experiencing homelessness or sex trafficking or refugee resettlement or um, whatever it might be. And they would come back with incredible stories and we would um, digest that and intersect with that with their spiritual formation. And it was great. Did you say that a, a, a ministry that is centered around serving homeless people put their interns into a mansion? Yeah, so it was right in Capitol Hill. <laughs> they inherited it, Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Um, but it was an old converted <laughs> monastery. <laughs> uh, so, But it was huge. I mean, I forget how many square foot feet it was, but it was like we could comfortably room, you know, 100 people in there. It was massive. Um, 100 interns, though. Not, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> but it was, 100 yeah, like yeah. homeless community members, but okay. But it was, I guess it was nice though to be in the community that they were yeah. serving. Yeah. How did I, you get into that line of work? You know, you said you were doing it for five years. It was a dream job. Uh, how, how did that come into your life? Before that, I was at uh, a mega church um, and increasingly couldn't, I could not reconcile this nice, really nice office that I had in a, in in Bellevue with the current needs around me. Um, so that made me gravitate more and more towards um, service-oriented um, Christian ministry at the time. And Seattle's mm-hmm. Gospel, Gospel Mission is the most prominent by far in this area. And um, I had some friend, I had some people I knew of that were in this budding program and it just seemed wild and interesting. And so, um, so I applied. Yeah. But I, I, I always, I mean, even when you knew me, buddy, I, I, like I've always had one foot out the door, right. Mm-hmm. Of Christianity in, in the sense, I hopefully in a good sense that I just, um, I can't not think about people on the outside looking in. Um, mm-hmm in the needs around us rather than I've always cared more about those needs than the needs of people inside the church, frankly. So, um, so I'm not surprised that that's where I landed. Well, before we get more into where you landed, we, we usually like to start off by talking about your sort of evangelical story, your, your, your history with evangelicalism. If you were raised in a Christian home, did Christian school and those sorts of things, could you give us sort of an overview of, of what your your experience has been like with that? Sure. Yeah. I um I didn't grow up in the church. Um my family wasn't against it. It was just kind of a non-issue. We um my sister met Jesus in detention at KM. Uh Mr. What did he Golding, do? Um bless his heart. KM is Kent Meridian, Kent Meridian. High School. Yep. Um and she came home and she's like, I'm a Christian now. And I'm like, great, aren't we all? We're Americans. Um, so she started putting up these little <laughs> corny signs on her door, like God rocks my world and with a picture of a rock and a world. So I would bring up <laughs> my friends and mock her ruthlessly by tearing those down and be like, what's your God going to do now, Kelly? Um, and then she bought me a ticket to go to Malibu, which is a young life facility up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And she said there'd be girls there. So that's why I went. 
Incredibly uh, confusing that. name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I I didn't know it was in Canada. She just was like, "Oh, it's like." Um, so, and I I had a very um, honest encounter with God, and um, came back, and it definitely uh, was was life transformational for me. Um, and that turned into wanting to pursue more understanding more because I um, so I landed at Northwest University um and in a very marketable youth ministry major um <laughs> but i remember people falling asleep in our old testament class and i'm like on the edge of my seat because i that was the very first time i'd heard about moses or you know um and then that turned into landing a, a youth pastor job at a four square church that um was wild it was just the midst of a lot of tragedy in in uh skyline high school and sammamish Esquaw area and a lot of suicides and deaths of of teens and so we just decided to start together with a bunch of students um just this thing called refuge which was just kind of like an evening thing it was like hey you don't it's not a church thing it's just if you just want to come and just be it's okay um and that um like really did grow overnight to like 250 students so it's like twice as big as the church that i was youth pastoring at um, so the next thing I know, I'm like the rock star guy, um, which brings all kinds of problems, right? And um, things I wasn't prepared for. Uh, and then I kind of got traded <laughs> to um, a mega church. Uh, it felt like I got traded, seriously. Because um, <laughs> I was kind of interested, but I hadn't. And it was just, it was like they, they had conferred the two pastors and it just happened. Um, so I landed this like speaking um uh, pastor role or whatever slash young adults pastor role at, at a, uh timberlake which is it's free methodist but it's very much like the whale or the um the tail wagging the dog there and then did that for a while then we church planted through the evangelical covenant um we ran out of money because it was during the recession a lot of fun though um a lot of my poker buddies uh were parts of part of that um i'm a really good poker player on side note, but kind of more. I don't, I don't even know the rules of poker, so um, which is why I never play. Because if I have to sit down and go, okay, tell me how to play, I know I'm going to lose all my money. <laughs> yeah, you got. I would all over the place right now too. So. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I totally would, man. I, I, I would love to play yet, but not uh, betting money for sure. We can get some cool ranch chips out or something like that. <laughs> so I only um, do strip poker. So did that. <laughs> um, let's see, where was that? Oh. Church planning, uh, then that closed. I sold beds for a little bit um, and then landed that position at the other mega church, the Baptist one in Bellevue, and then off to, off to uh, Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Okay. And during that time, um, just because I know your story, I mean, we haven't seen each other since 1997. And of course, at Kent Meridian High School, I remember we gathered around for See You at the Pole and you know yeah. some of these Christian events we had. We had a Christian club there, so I remember remember all that stuff. Right. But I know, yeah, yeah. Um, but I know in your story, just from following you on social media, you were at uh, one of these mega churches, and there was a pastor that became LGBTQ affirming, and this really was a, a theological shock for you, at, at least at that time. And then there was kind of a faith change that that happened after that for you. Do you want to talk about that time in your life? 
Oh, sure. So, yeah. So while I was at Seattle Union Gospel Mission, it was the first time I wasn't being paid to be at a church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We could actually pick where we wanted to go. So um, my wife was like, and I, me too, we both were like, let's go to um, Eastlake, which was just this really cool church. I knew Ryan Meeks um, from a few interactions in the past, and they had like five, six campuses at the time all over Seattle metro area. And we'd been there for maybe a month. And then um, we were walking through the QFC and we saw the front page of this Time um, Time News magazine that Eastlake had become LGBTQ affirming of one of the, the first largest evangelical churches to do that ever in history. Uh, and so we that was news to us. That's how we learned of it. <laughs> we're like, and my wow. initial reaction was like, oh shit, like we just got there, man. Um, so they closed all their campuses but one basically overnight. And um, and it was just it was it was there was protesters out out front and it was just it was crazy. Sorry, can you explain what you what you just said? Um so they 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 were they were a large mega church with multiple locations. They said that they'd be LGBTQ affirming, and that was in the news. And you said, and then they closed all their locations overnight. Yeah, because they lost uh, most of their funding. Like everyone left, right? Like well, okay. all the Christians, all the Christians left. I guess you could say all the evangelicals yeah. left. And then conservatives were protesting the church. That's what yeah. that's what you mean when you said conservatives were outside protesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so they, so I mean, I, I they would admit this too. It was the, one of the worst rollouts ever, because <laughs> I'm not kidding. The congregation learned of the change from a Time News um, article, as opposed to like you know slowly rolling it out and you know helping people understand and get doing on doing a sermon series that yeah. e- explains <laughs> their <laughs> theological convictions wow. and things. Yeah, yeah. So. So Here's Ryan Meeks, Ryan Meeks, by the way. Uh, yeah. So he answered, he answered his phone one day, a time magazine reporter was there and said, Hey, do you like gay people? And he said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I do. And that's how everybody finds out. Yeah. And so he didn't know in his defense uh, when it was going to get released. And so that's how it got botched. I see. Okay. But yeah, but it ended up with basically overnight, you know, at least half the congregation leaving along with their money. And then Eastlake had to adjust uh, overnight by closing all but one of their campuses. Wow. In reality, I, maybe it was a couple weeks. I don't know. But it felt like it was overnight in okay. all intents and purposes. I mean, now, that's, you... that's pretty quick. But, but is, was this really a Bellevue-centric uh, me- megachurch? Because Bellevue is it's the Republican Seattle. You know, it's it's the biggest city that is conservative. Uh, this is worse. This was actually their their main campus is in Bothell, which is just super conservative and and really racist, by the way, too. I that I class of two thousand, uh, Bothell. Oh, High really? School. Yeah. I keep stepping on your toes already. I make right. your music now. I'm like calling you inadvertently racist. I apologize. I, I mean, Bothell back then was a much smaller town than it is now. There's been a huge amount of development, uh, and uh, you know tech stuff coming in there and things like that. It like it's wild to me that like houses actually can be valuable there. Um yeah, Bothell is quite quite different than it used to yeah. be. But um good pubs um, yeah East Lake over there. Okay. Um and then and but I'll say to their credit, um 
meeting with the the one of the campus pastors at the time who was you know very soon going to be out of a job uh darren he was so kind to me um at basically saying like hey like i get it like if you aren't on board for this i i want you to know like you're still my friend and you're still welcome here no matter what like because you get a sense of belonging and community and i don't want you to lose that um over this and so don't feel like you're a second class citizen or any of that stuff. Like he was just remarkably gentle to me um, in those in those those months where I was, you know, reading all the books and reading through my Bible and praying and about where do I land on this issue, um, which is much more than just an issue. Um, but I I'm, I'm grateful for that. How how and it frankly it um it haunts me too because I. Now that I am, you know, for years now, been an affirming person, um, I'm I'm haunted by Darren and how he related to me so that I'm not such a jackass to my Christian friends who are not affirming. Because, um, yeah, he, he haunts me in a really good way. So, Kyle, with obviously there was a process for you. You were studying your Bible. You were reading other books what what is the thing that really changed you because you you were not affirming and then you switched your theology to being affirming what what was what was the clincher for you that that kind of pushed you toward the more affirming camp oh um i mean probably my friends that are gay um my relatives that are gay i remember getting in a huge argument with with my wife about at the time, um, one of her cousins was um, looking like he was going to get engaged. And she was like, would you officiate the, that wedding? And um, and I and I said no. And I took this moral high ground or whatever. And she's like, you realize like you have to live with that the rest of your life. Like you're going to know them. Are you are you OK with that? And and she's always been farther ahead of me on 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 everything. But she was really gentle with me too but yeah ultimately it came down to just people that i love um and knowing who they are and and um knowing the health of their relationships the vitality of their spirituality the honesty of their life um was that was for me that really does seem to be the most common way for people because that's that's what takes it immediately out of the abstract um yeah. being a, a concrete representation in your life of the issue so to speak um being real people and you look around and be like this is a regular person this is just just like me and just like anybody else this isn't a concept this is a person mm -hmm. um and it I don't know the 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 farther out I get from my my time having not been affirming, just the sillier it seems that I held on to that at all. Yeah. So so that fast forwarding to I mean, I'm I'm still very much in process about that, um, and I'm I'm you know I'm I'm uh, I'm at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, which is a very conservative organization. And um, two of my friends who used to be interns in that program uh, started dating each other, uh, two women. 
and I, they announced it on Facebook and I commented on their relationship status, uh, quote, totes adorbs, which is code for totally adorable. Um, Good code. Didn't catch that. Right. <laughs> and I got called into the principal's office the next day um, for for that comment. Um, principal meaning uh, one of the VPs at Seattle's New Gospel Mission. And um, and he was just all up and he was not happy with me about that. And um, and he said he said um, he goes, how in the world or why do you think that's appropriate? to affirm those two and i said uh ralph i i think those two women my friends needed to be affirmed in that moment moment more than ever before and and it felt so good saying like i like came right off the mm. top i was like oh i nailed that one but then yeah. also i knew i was super fired <laughs> wow. and so like it was uh i don't know a week and a half later i was gone Wow. wow. So, so you you were you were fired because of posting totes adorbs on two women's engagement announcement posts. Yes. Wow. That's and and because they're a religious affiliated organization, they're allowed to do that, and there's no legal uh, uh, way to to fight that. I suppose. There's yeah, a lot of leeway with religious organizations because they're um, legally a church, and so they can. Legally at church. There you go. Yeah, that's that's how it goes. Um, did so? Do they have any affiliation with a specific denomination? No. no. So all the all the privileges, none of the accountability. Right. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of churches with no accountability uh, yeah. as, as as well. A lot of these, you know, in, independent uh, uh, community church. You know, just just general. Uh, structureless entities are, are out there you know a lot, a lot of churches out there where pastors have no requirement of seminary or anything like that um i could become a pastor tomorrow if i wanted to um but you gonna try that hat on uh <laughs> I, I i think the vcw is is going to be my church for now i'm, I'm so this is crazy so like fast forward um it's maybe a couple years I was uh, I landed a volunteer coordinator position at the um, at the Isquah Food and Clothing Bank, and so um, I'm there just helping load up trucks and um, get food to people in need, and it's great. Uh, it's in my community that I love, and it was just wonderful the time I was there. Um, but a tr truck from Seattle's New Gospel Mission rolled up to get food from us. And I was like, why are they here getting food from us? Right. Because they're kind of the big boys. We're like this little guy. And my boss told me it's because the big, big, I forget, I think it's Hopelink, the major distributor of food, um, uh, stopped giving to Seattle's Union Gospel Mission because they weren't willing to give to organizations like them that were being uh, discriminatory towards people. So they they cut them off. So then Seattle's Union Gospel Mission was like under the radar going to other places like us, grabbing our leftovers. <laughs> so that they could help feed people in Seattle. So I'm helping load up a, a, a one of their trucks with pallets of food of our leftovers based upon a discriminatory process that they're under the radar, the whole thing. But then meanwhile, I'm also like doing it because I also think that homeless people should be able to have food too. You know, like, 
so it's just it was like such a mind fuck like as far yeah. as like, there's numerous competing values that are happening in me you know um and i still don't know quite what to think of it but um, can, can can you explain to us the 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 organization that is the union gospel mission and what they do uh, in case anybody doesn't know sort of the basics, but a, a little bit deeper would be good. I know I, I worked in pioneer square for until the pandemic it had been like 14 years straight down there. And the union gospel mission is a big presence down there. Um, but I, I, I believe that union gospel missions are around the country, that this is a network. It's not just, the Seattle Union Gospel Mission isn't the Union Gospel Mission, right? Correct. They're loosely affiliated with each other. I'm not sure exactly how that network works, but um, but yeah, there is a banner there uh, of Union Gospel. They're all Christian organizations that are legally churches. Um, and in Seattle's case, it's by far the most prominent um, nonprofit um, in the area. Mm-hmm. I think that some of them have had, some of them have been incredibly effective. Like the one in Portland's incredible. I've visited that one numerous times as well too. Um, but also I think they, because of their Christian roots, they tend to approach um, caring for people in, in a transactional way and in a, um, in 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 caring more about the triage than the development mm-hmm. of people. So I mean, because frankly, triage markets better, right? right? It's it's really it's sexy to put, you know, with five with twenty dollars you can feed ten people, and that's that's nice and clear. It's transactional. People can get on board. They can feel like they're the hero of the story. Um, which is important for marketing standpoints, but um, wildly untrue um, because the real hero of the story is, a, is the person experiencing homelessness. Um, and in the way in which we see them as the hero is also in the way in which we dignify them, which then influences our way of not being transactional with them and not caring only about triage, but ultimately about development. Um, so I have some some significant issues with how they approach issues. Yeah. And that's why ultimately mm-hmm. uh, that that program we were part of, Surf Seattle, no longer exists. They they actually cut, I think, nearly all of the programs that had to do with development uh, mm. in favor of um, promoting um, p- departments of their organization that only do triage. Yeah. yeah. Can you, can you yeah. explain uh, what? triage versus development means what what are the services that the union gospel mission provides for people um we're talking you know uh uh uh, places to sleep overnight food setting them up in in temporary housing situation what what are what do they do yeah addiction recovery um yeah you named it um and, and triage is let me let me be really clear triage is is important and necessary um, just like when there's a big earthquake in in some part of the country, you know, um, we have organizations, government organizations that fly in with all kinds of uh, immediate care and help and assistance to the uh, immediate physical needs of 
of whatever's happening there on the ground, right? Triage is super necessary. The problem is, is when nonprofits like Seattle Union Gospel Mission never move beyond it, and then it becomes something that's uh, enabling or um, paternalistic towards the people. Paternalistic thing is really interesting, and that also comes into play with with the the gatekeeping of who who gets access to the triage. Uh, I I know that that I've I've heard of various you know Christian homeless organizations that you know you you don't get the bowl of soup unless you sit for the sermon. Yeah, uh, you you know Back if you have if you have addiction issues there you know there cannot be any trace of those being present in your life for you to be in this building um i i'm not sure exactly what the gatekeeping methods were that that union gospel mission used but what what did what did you see there whether it be religious based ones like you got to listen to a sermon or maybe just mi- misguided ways of of approaching people with with diseases and and problems that weren't going to be solved overnight i think the biggest way i saw that happen is a lot of ways they became a victim of their own success meaning um and i and i I mean this because i i there's wonderful people that work there and every nonprofit, i think that seeks to care for the needs of others begins with a very noble idea and i think seattle's and yost mission began with the idea of like, let's end homelessness. Um, But as they grew and started to meet the needs of people experiencing homelessness, they needed to expand their staffing and then they needed to acquire some facilities. And then they got Mm -hmm. marketing departments to build a market to get more funding for more facilities and more staffing. And so you can see how it goes from let's end homelessness to actually we need needy people to maintain our budget. Right in order to care for the immediate physical needs the triage and that's why i think one of the reasons why they they don't move towards development because they're actually not interested in ending homelessness they need needy people to continue what they're doing and i don't think that i I think the executives make more than they should frankly but i don't think it's necessarily the fat cats or i think it's it's a, a systemic organizational issue of like that that um, permeates this once you get a successful institution it's the wheels just keep grinding it's it's not the mustache twirling villain right it's no of course not yeah it's just a a systemic thing i get that churches are are very much ran this way too that we we start i mean i was a church planner you know you start off wanting to change your city for christ and and as you get successful you acquire more staffing you building blah 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 and you end up needing needy people to come every Sunday to fill seats and tithe to maintain what you're doing. So the yeah, goal is really... actually like go and be free and live your life, live your fucking life, but come back every Sunday and get more of what I'm selling. There's a really mm-hmm. interesting catch 22 nationally where, where much of conservative ideology is saying the government should not be in the business of providing a social safety net and taking care of people that's that's something that should be done on an individual level that's something that churches should be doing and then people give to their churches thinking this is how i make sure that i'm doing my part here and have the church help the community but the vast majority of the money given to churches is just covering overhead Mm -hmm. it's it's 
its staffing costs and mortgage and expanding building, you know, buying more land and buildings and stuff. There, there's very little uh, usually that goes back into the community and, and helping people. And, and uh, even the funds that do go back into the community are, are again, primarily triage and not development. So like yeah, we I've, have to adjust what success looks like is is success for Seattle's Union Gospel Mission um, feeding a hundred thousand um, people or success that, Hey, you see that VP over there of, of, of tech, he used to be homeless in our, and, and now, and now he's our VP or um, these are, these are 17 people that have apartments and, um, and jobs and families, and they used to be addicts or whatever it might, you know, like, so we need to change what we deem a success. And that starts from how we market and communicate. So it's a lot of it is educating donors of like, this is our goal. And it it doesn't look sexy, but we need you to believe in it because we actually want to end homelessness. Right. Know? Or and, and, right. and when it comes to um to churches, it's you know, it's not about joining, you know, the new Bible study every every two months or having perfect attendance. It's you know, it's were you patient. Were you kind? Were you gentle? Have you built community around you? Do you know your ne next door neighbor's name? You know, like let's change the way we met, we 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 deem success and 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 metrics. Yeah, hmm. you end up you know seeing 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 churches tout their numbers on on you know how many baptisms we did this year, how many people came through the doors, and and that's that does that's not reflective of health, um, just as how many homeless people came through the doors of a union gospel mission is not reflective of how uh, positive of an impact it had in their lives and how many people were, how many people's lives were saved uh, from succumbing to their addictions or, or how many were put into permanent housing and stayed there and things like that. You know, it's, it's uh what 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 you're saying makes sense as far as like the bigger it gets, the more the more they need there to be a constant supply of people in need yeah. uh, to and, continue. And for me, usually the, the red flag of that is if you look at their marketing, how do they depict the person that they're caring for? Is it is it a person that's got a dirty face and raggedy clothes and the lighting's not great? Did they even approve of that picture? Is that for any of us, would I ever be happy about, I mean, I usually take multiple selfies before putting them on Facebook. Why would I ever, you know, like there's, so there's something inherently not dignifying about mm -hmm. making that decision and commodifying the person in order to create people reading or seeing that marketing, understanding that they're the hero and this person's the victim, right? But what if we flipped the script and saw the person that we're caring for as as the actual hero because they are they've they've endured things that i i could not possibly imagine right um and here's so and so that um that is a survivor of sex trafficking and now has gone on to just complete their aa degree and um and and we can do more of this if you keep helping us because because now she's gonna actually come on staff and and we're gonna keep changing the city like that, you know, that's, oh man, which I'm, I'm saying that because, um, rest real escape from the sex trade is a, is an organ nonprofit that my family and I, um, support regularly. 
am big fans of. And I, I think they do this. I think they they do not commodify the people that they're caring for. They maintain the dignity and they set them up as the hero of the story. That's great. Yeah, I know, Man, I know some and just amazing involved with them and I've only heard good things. Yeah. Likewise. And this is just a lot of just uh, things to really think about and how, yeah, churches and nonprofit organizations. Um, I, I've been involved in Seattle Union Gospel Mission just as a volunteer. Um, I actually, I've worked in the, the food kitchen. I actually preached a sermon there one time. That was a long time ago, 10 plus years ago. Um, and I've been on there. Uh, what's that? Did you get any booze? I did not actually. The That's people were really out. friendly, Hope enthusiastic. It as short as, for them. Yeah, it, it was it was very short, like you know, ten minutes or something. Um, and I've been on the Seattle uh, rescue missions where on Thursday nights uh, they probably go out every night or whatever. But on Thursday yeah. nights uh, we would go out in vans and we'd give food and socks to people who were homeless. And, and I have to say, search and rescue, right? That's what it was. And I have to say, you know, I've talked about it on the show before. Um, I'm still very much a committed Christian, but my politics really changed over time. You know, that that's kind of my deconstruction is like I have deconstructed kind of this political conservatism from Christianity, maybe and still in process of doing that to some degree. You know, so there's the Iraq war, which I was against, and there was a torture program, which was evil and horrible. And then as I'm going out, you know, in this search and rescue mission with Union Gospel Mission and meeting these people and giving them socks and food, I'm thinking to myself, I'm, you know, providing a tangible benefit like right now, you know, for, for the crisis. But tomorrow, this person is still going to have that need. And so, you know, how can we as individuals or churches fix this problem? We can't. It's just this systemic problem that needs a collective answer and that was just another like chink in the armor of like what is really going to help solve this homeless houseless crisis how can we move the ball forward you know how can we get people homes you know <laughs> get people shelter get people food continually you know not just handing it out here and there but recognize this as a basic human need and you know invite people into that yeah so that's where it gets complicated because i noticed some some um some blind spots in what you're saying and also some real virtue right so yeah. well, feel free to call it out yeah i so the blind you know, spots are it's inherently going to be paternalistic if we in we engage in a relationship in a prescriptive way that somehow I'm the authority of what you need, as opposed to being curious, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, gosh, why am I blanking on his name? But it was life changing um, for me. The um, pedagogy of the oppressed um, is a is a was was groundbreaking for me in recognizing that that the oppressed need to, as he puts it, um, paint their own world create their own world. Like I don't, I don't, 
I don't need to advocacy is not me speaking for you. Right. It's me because you already have a voice like that's what does that say about, you know, I'm already missing the mark if I feel like I need to speak for you. Um, I don't. You have a voice. It's just a matter of getting out of your way or amplifying what you want to say. Right. That's um, advocacy from how I I see it. So um, but but the virtue in it is that. Um, that I'm glad you you felt something those nights because that matters, right? Like um, there is a real sense of empathy being built and compassion. Um, and that really matters. Like it, it probably didn't, honestly, they can get food anywhere in Seattle. It's actually really easy to get food that um, you probably didn't help a whole lot, but, but you were changed and that matters. Right. Um, and when I, when I walk by someone experiencing homelessness, I have, I've ceased to make predetermined decisions about what I'm going to do because I found that both any predetermined decision for me, at least is an error in that. Like I've heard people say, like, I always give money to homeless people and you're like, oh, good for you. Oh, again, he's the hero of the story, right? <laughs> I always have five bucks. And I'm ready to give it to him. And it's also prescriptive. Do they even need money? Do they actually just need someone to listen? Do you need them to sit down and spend a few minutes with them? Like maybe that's what they actually need. You know, it's ultimately always prescriptive, always transactional. Um, and it keeps me from feeling. And likewise, I have a problem with the person who's like, I never give money to homeless people because um because they're just gonna use it on in drugs anyway. And again, prescriptive and anything but choosing to feel, right? Both keep me from feeling something. My friend Tony Chris. He puts it this way. He goes, uh, when it, whenever I see a homeless person, I like to give them like 20 bucks because you can get like really drunk on 20 bucks. <laughs> and then, which is like great for shock value, right? But then he says this, he goes, because if I didn't have anyone to call for a place to stay that night, no one. And my only option was to sleep on the street. I would want to get really drunk that night too. And I just thought that's, yes because that makes me feel something and I'm choosing to feel and I'm not walking by that person like they're a fucking lamppost. It's a human being made in the image of God, you know, like the Imago Dei. So how dare I enter in any kind of prescriptive or transactional or predetermined decision that keeps me from actually feeling I've had really difficult conversations with my kids about this and I'm and they're like struggling of like what do I do dad and what and I'm like I'm just glad, glad you're struggling I, I'm I'm so proud of you for just like being in this buddy like I could not be more proud of you for deciding to feel because that's going to change you and it it, it someday it's going to change everything so that's that's the non-answer I would give is um is that those nights on search and rescue you you chose to feel and that's that's changing your life yeah it definitely changed uh perspectives for sure there's um yeah we had kevin nye on an episode talking about homelessness and and that was a, a great episode if people want to check that out and and his book uh, grace will lead us home is is really really good um i think on that episode we talked a little bit about you know, the causes and, and kind of what you were saying there, people's perception. And sometimes you hear on the right wing, like, oh, um, homeless people, it, it's a drug and a mental health problem. 
But obviously, the reasons why this crisis is happening are varied. There's multiple reasons. I mean, the cost of housing, first and last month's rent to get into an apartment. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. This country um, just, you got sick for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> is enough. You have some to medical bills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way I've always come to know it is that, you know, ultimately, you and I, if, yeah, like you said, if I got sick all of a sudden and medical bills, force us to lose our house or there was, you know, some kind of tragedy and um, I would have, I would have multiple people, friends and, and family members that I could call that uh, would step in and give me a place to stay and allow me to rebuild my life. And um, that there's this, this safety net, right. That kept, would catch me from going into homelessness. And I think more often than not that people fall into homelessness because that net isn't there or they've been so estranged from people that they're in relationship with that they've dismantled the net on their own um and 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 drugs you know what comes first the chicken or the egg i don't know um but that net doesn't catch them so for me yeah relationship community is is uh of utmost importance i think um that's the answers we have is you know in seattle we've typically just thrown a bunch of money at it <laughs> mm -hmm. or we've gone back to the which is all just tra more transaction right more prescription um their houses just built a bunch of homes and and seattle did that and it just didn't work at all um it was a complete disaster and 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 so then you have these other models like like seattle's union gospel mission that creates these shelters but the problem with the shelters is it takes away every feasible freedom that you could possibly have as a person in homelessness there's plenty of um issues with it but it is one of the most free experiences you can ever have and let's be really clear living outside in a tent is, is there's nothing inherently evil or about that at all in fact people have been living outside for for thousands and thousands of years that's there's it's okay there's nothing inherently unhealthy about that um so let, let's be slower to, to to vilify or demonize or assume right um but going back to the shelter model what i have problem with is is um no wonder people have to hit rock bottom over and over and over again before they even consider a shelter because you're told uh where to sleep you have to touch elbows with a complete stranger you have to guard your things all night long your uh the lights flip on at, it's like 5 30 in the morning you're ushered out you're told what to eat you're told where to go. You're told when you can use the bathroom. Everything is just, you know, said to you. Here's the addiction recovery steps you have to um, comply with. It's the most um, unfree thing. <laughs> so, so what if we were able to? And, and I think this is starting to happen a little bit around the country. Is what if we created a model that that allowed more room for people still to be free, so they didn't have to hit rock bottom all over over and over again before they submitted themselves their entire being to the system that they don't even know if they trust or even are aware of, you know, we can do better, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. How much, how much do cities lean on? I, I I'm just thinking of, 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 of the, the ways that the union, union, union gospel mission and other religious organizations are able to discriminate uh, in hiring practice practices and in who that, who they're, they're serving and how much 
they're functioning as an arm of the city of the community and how much this the city is relying on them to do the work for them uh and how it's okay that they can discriminate when when they're a necessary component of how the city is has decided to to try to um handle this issue um yeah i don't i, I, I wasn't high enough up up to know that's interesting though i i will say in 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 Seattle's and Yelp's submissions um defense that the city would occasionally come to them before before clearing out, they would come in and and with bulldozers and clear out uh, an encampment, a homeless mm -hmm. encampment, which we all know that's totally going to solve the issue if you just disperse people. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. They go to a different right. part of the city and and uh, set up tents there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. at least the city would would sometimes consult UGM about that because UGM would go on those search and rescues like you're talking about, right? And and they had some some of the workers had viable, good, healthy relationships with people and they could come in and give them a warning of like, hey man, they're coming in. You gotta, you know, so they were able to do some kind of advocacy and I think in a good way. And I and I think that was pretty um I I'm grateful that the city recognized that UGM had these meaningful relationships with people that they didn't they did not and they could do this in a, a slightly more dignifying way, but usually the city's goal, like every city in America is just to, you know, if you can't see them, it's not a problem. So they just keep dispersing people, um, whenever they're, they're seen, which what do you think about the ways that, that our police... value of people, right? Uh, what, what, what do you, what do you think about the ways that, that police deal with, homelessness and 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 people experiencing homelessness you know we have organizations like ugm that are providing food and all that but but we we've seen as the police state has grown larger and larger the police have been sent to do th things that aren't typically traditional police work and there's been a lot of talk about how many things could we uh not have police doing and have social workers doing and stuff like that Inter interactions with homeless people is something that uh, police routinely do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if 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 you have a, a sense of whether they are better or worse at it than some of the organizations whose entire focus is on that. Um, but do you think the police should be involved with homeless people at all? Like, what 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 is your thoughts on on? on those sorts of interactions and and how the city how cities should should handle that um i mean i think they could just like any person could with proper training but that's i think in in the defense of police officers they just they're asked to do far too much right they, yeah. they you mm -hmm. can't be a specialist in every urban issue i, I just and, and and the amount like i think so many issues with police comes down to just a lack of training, um, a lack of de-escalation, a lack of education of mental health. Um, That's a big one. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, one of actually um, Rhapsody, I just remember your name. One of our interns worked for a mental health organization uh, within UGM. I think it was within UGM that specialized in basically the cops would, she would, she would um, make relationships with people, with, people experiencing homelessness that had very clear mental health issues. 
And, um, and she just, she would tell me, she was like, she'd come home from internship and she, she'd be like, I walked 20 miles today. Like she just would walk all over the city, you know, re-engaging with relationships. But what was cool about it is, um, her and her partner, um, would oftentimes get called by the police to be like, Hey, so-and-so is at Starbucks making a scene again. Can you come, can you come over here real quick? Mm. And so they'd be able to step in because they have this trusting relationship with someone that's experiencing mental health and need, ran out of their meds. And that's the issue. They don't need to get thrown in prison or jail. They just, you know, it's just, they just got to get back on their meds again, but they need someone that, that they know and trust that they can be able to help move them in that direction. Right. So that, I thought that was a win. I don't know if that still exists, but that was, man, her stories were amazing. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> Do you think that UGM's goal is to make Christians or to pull people out of homelessness and care for them? Make Christians. But I'll say... Interesting. But I'll say in the very next breath, they're by far the best organization addressing homelessness in Seattle. Mm. It's the best one we got. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. yeah have, I mean, somebody doing it. The, the city yeah. is swinging and missing at it. And yeah. whatever, you know, it's the largest organization for sure. But, you know, there's always, uh, I mean, we're so prone to binaries and making, you know, heroes and villains out of organizations when it's really just complex and complicated. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate about your presentation, Kyle. It's kind of like, here's just the real honest truth about what I think about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, so, yeah, they're doing the best they can with what they know, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a super villain behind the, the curtain. No mustache twirling villains. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, um, and as we talked about, as far as like having moved to uh, being a, a, a affirming and such, like, you know what it's like to do the best with what you know when what you know is at a certain point and the limitations that come with that. And hopefully, what you know grows and that informs what you do and things get better um but as long as organizationally they're they're uh, uh dug in on on anti-lgbtq stuff and all that you know it's like what well, we're they're, with, with they're like most Seattle churches Pacific. right they're they're technically not they're not affirming but they're also not going to communicate that they're not affirming because yeah. They get all their money from conservatives, but they get all their volunteers and staff from uh, from progressive areas. So they're you know they're between a rock and a hard place, and they know that. So they got to they got to bury wow. the non-affirming posture on their website if it's on there at all, um, and do those things, and then make people like me sign NDAs and keep it keep it all quiet, right? So that they can appease everyone. So many different angles to all of this. I mean. <laughs> Well, it's either that or they they close and, all the, half their campuses overnight, like right? like like he's like, uh, oh yeah. oh for sure yeah like like um like Eastlake like yeah. real yeah, vision, all right? over real Fox vision News, did and they like know. lost their donor base yeah. overnight. And... You Union Gospel Mission goes woke. Yeah, it, it'd be everywhere. <laughs> no, wokeified. Yeah, wokeified. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, and then what's the impact on on actual people in need if that happened, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's it's complicated. Oh, it's super yeah, complicated. It's, it's, don't you think, though, with our society, everything is just coming to a head 
I just, you know, I hear these people saying like the middle is going to hold, but it doesn't seem like the middle is going to hold, you know, so the middle ground of like appeasing a wealthy conservative base that's like funding your organization versus all the volunteers are coming from progressive areas because, you know, they have a heart for homelessness or whatever. It, you know, that and you and gospel ministry is just one thing. I think there are several things in our society where it just seems like, you know, something's going to break. Well, I think there it can't be appeasement with fascists. Like there can't be appeasement. <laughs> exactly. People... No, right. like, like, like when, when they've decided that, that trans eradication is the, a new like top tier yeah. position and, and point of emphasis, like there, there's no common ground with that. There's, there is no, and fine and yes. meeting in the middle. There just I, isn't. I think the common ground gets, destroyed when you actually zero in and ask very specific specificity is the enemy right of of that middle ground so hmm. um so for a church it's like would you allow a, a a gay couple to receive baptism or communion or um would you officiate their wedding like when you get specific you know, and then and then you turn to the to the the gay couple. Are you okay with that? It's a yes or no. You know, uh, so the more specific, the more uncomfortable. It also it erodes the middle ground because it just and those are fair questions to make. You're not trying to. Tr it's not a gotcha or a trap. It's just like I'm just asking you to to think through. Okay, here's another crazy story. So um, this is what sorry, but I later met with one of the um the VP at the time of HR later got coffee with me like a year later because he was now he... i was gonna say you have to get coffee in order to be able to ask these questions yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted to get coffee uh and talk about stuff he was now a pastor at a church he had left ugm and he was uh all butt hurt because i was like i'm not only be friends with you. anyway so we talk and he's doing the same bullshit at this church as he was at ugm where he didn't he wasn't specific so i was like if you're not affirming, that's fine, but just be clear about that because otherwise you're unintentionally hurting people that are coming to your church think it's a safe place, just like you unintentionally hurt me because I thought it was okay and I or like the in process about this and turns out my ass got fired. So just be clear. And um, and so this is crazy. So then I had another friend of mine, Cody, who was in my doctorate program, and I was like, my friend Cody in Montana actually thinks through this stuff well. He aligns with you theologically. He's he's conservative like you. Would you just meet with him so he can help you figure out what the hell you believe? And so he actually flew out. So I lined them up, two conservatives that aren't affirming, just to get your shit figured out. Like it's so Cody flew over to meet with him, uh, and they actually had a really productive. And now Cody like goes around. I think he's done several of these now. It's blossomed into like him as a. Um, as as this person that helps come into churches and helps them clarify like what is actually your position so you don't unintentionally hurt lgbtq people coming into your church but he comes from a conservative place about it but i respect him for it because he's at least he's clear about it and he's a good yeah. guy he like thinks this stuff through and he he doesn't demonize me so anyways crazy right that i i helped the guy who fired me to get more clear about his policy so he could be more he could hurt less people at his church just wild but he tried to hug me at the end of the um, coffee and that wasn't flying yeah yeah <laughs> step away <laughs> i really wonder how many of those awkward conversation i've avoided by not enjoying coffee yeah oh yeah people would like invite me out of, and like i don't i don't drink coffee so <laughs> something else i'm maybe. not going dude <laughs> <laughs>
Um, well, as a, a final round of questions here, um, I wanted to ask you about faith transition because I've been, you know, following you on social media. I've seen uh, some of your Twitter posts, and I know, you know, you, you were a committed Christian. You were a pastor for 15 years. You worked at Union Gospel Mission for five years, and recently, I have seen some Twitter posts from you that you have been maybe thinking about or, or wrestling with agnosticism and and faith change and things like that. Do you want to talk about this part of your journey um, yeah. with your life right now? Yeah, I mean, super fresh, right? So apologies if I don't articulate well, but um, yeah, I've become increasingly uncomfortable with calling myself a Christian because um, it is it, it a, a, a so associates in America with a, a variety of politics and and people and values that I I no longer do right or I don't want to be associated with. Um, so I I just grew increasingly tired of being like I'm a Christian, but you know what at what point is the term just no longer helpful in just loving the person that's across? And I found that that yeah i'd say i'd at this point everyone that asked me um was a christian anyway and they wanted to know if i um am on their team or not um so what's ironic about is is um is like i uh i don't think my beliefs have changed that much like i i just think the Trinity is one of the most beautiful ideas ever. Um, I love, I love the triune God, but, um, but I, I found in my desire to love and connect with people that perhaps the term Christian isn't helping me do that. Um, so, and, and, I know you don't mean it this way, um, but also I don't think I, I don't think I owe anyone um, a label. I don't like I, I learned that from my friend Anna, who's who's non-binary, and she, that stuck with me when I chatted with her. She was like, "I don't owe anyone to tell them what my gender or sexuality. I, why do I? Why do I owe that to anyone?" And I was like, "That's a you don't," um, and and so maybe I don't either when it comes to what I term myself um, in my spirituality. I mean, obviously, I hope you it comes across it. Like I, 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 I see I can't help but not see things through that filter, right? After nearly three degrees and um, many, many years of being steeped in it. And I don't mean that as a negative, like it's been, you know, those are some wonderful things. Um, the Beatitudes will will always have like this profound impact on how I see the world around me, that the meek will inherit the earth, you know? Um, oh my gosh. It just, just, I could never come up with that on my own. That is, that is beautiful. So mm -hmm. uh, I just, I, I, but I, I, I grew, I've grown increasingly wary of, of putting a, a, a label to it. Doesn't seem to help me the way it used to. Yeah. And it's a lot of that, obviously, the, the Trumpism, the mega stuff from the last, you know, seven or eight years that is continuing. And we hope he doesn't come back into office. But these are the clarifications that 
we have to give, you know, if we're Christians or call ourselves Christians or whatever we call ourselves, like I'm a Christian, but I don't support him and I don't vote for him. And, mm -hmm. you know, it just ends up being a long list of clarifiers. Yeah. yeah. My next door neighbors are, are, are Muslim and they're like, they're, they're just, we're dear friends. They're um, my, both our sons are on the same soccer team. We're just really close. I don't think me telling them I'm a Christian would help our relationship at all. Um, in fact, maybe the most Christ-like thing I can do is just be a really good neighbor uh, to them and never bring that label up. Because I think it's really negatively loaded for them and for good reason. And I don't want to yeah. hurt them. But they're wonderful people. I think it's it's kind of impossible to separate Christianity from the negative aspects of it, especially in this country. And And I went through a long time of trying to to parse people and and play the game of who's the real christian and who isn't and at a certain point just accepted that like there's so little that you actually have to believe to be on the team like jesus outlines a pretty big tent and these people that do awful things and proclaim that they're doing it because of their faith as christians they are real christians yeah. And it really sucks. <laughs> and and I, you know, I have my own reasons beyond that for not not wanting to be part of that anymore. But, you know, I ultimately came to the conclusion that I think it's a net negative for humanity. Um, but uh, but it's nice yeah. that I also don't feel a need to define where I'm at for people. I mean, you're at the beginning of the show. I said, you know, I don't really know what I believe anymore. And I'm okay with that. Like giving up certainty is one of the most freeing things about re-examining Christianity, because like you said, it's the framework by which you view the, the world and interpret things around you. Like that's, that's the wiring that I came with from the start. Like I prayed the prayer when I was like three, you know, it's how everything how everything in the world was explained to me and i'm i i'm still working on trying to un, undo some of those um those reactive ways of interpreting things as i encounter stuff um that are based in that i i i don't think i'll ever fully get away from that being the foundational uh understanding of how the world works for me um but giving up that certainty giving up the need to have an answer if somebody says well you don't do you you know do you know where you're going to go when you die like well, you don't know where, you, where you're going to go when you die <laughs> like you can say to your blue in the face that you do but any certainty you may have is pretend certainty it's 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 puffery it's bluster like like you don't really have it mm -hmm. and so i really enjoy being able to embrace the truth of that 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 I'm not certain and I'm never going to be certain and I never was certain as much as I said I was. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. St Stan Mitchell puts it this way that like if each religion was a continent that I would be on the coast of Christianity. Right. And which is great because you're on the beach, but you can also see there you go. other continents. And occasionally I get in my boat and I sail to other continents and sit with my friends and i actually have way more in common with um with a buddhist and a and a muslim 
um, and an atheist on their coast of their continent than I ever do in common with the 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 people on the mainland of my of my continent. People in the deep south of my like I don't I don't ever want to have lunch with you. I'm just not interested. Like we don't have much in common. We don't see things the same way. Um, we don't see people the same way. And and maybe the day will come where I get in my boat and and sail to a different continent and stay there and and set up a new home. But for now, I actually really like it on this beach. Like it, it's because ultimately, this is the way I see the world is is through this Christian lens. And I don't want to like lash out against it and become some. I'm tired of being like, I'm not even ex evangelical. I, I don't like. It just gets old after a while. Like I don't want to be ex anything. I I want to live a life that's meaningful and rich. And I don't want to be so jaded and cynical. For, and that's I'm yeah. I've grown tired of that. I just want to even the beach. Blake Chastain, who like coined the term exvangelical, has has said, you know, it's not a, a an arrival point. You know, it's it's yeah. not not his exact words, but you know, a way station. You know, you, you, it's something you can use as long as it makes sense to you and you feel comfortable as a way of describing yourself. And you know, I don't know if I'm necessary. I, I guess now and then I say I'm exvangelical, but really that but i i i don't think of it as as defining where i'm at now just an understanding that 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 is that is everything that i knew before now all right well kyle thank you so much for coming on and talking about your story and your work with union gospel mission and your thoughts on that you just had incredible stuff to think about that i have not thought enough about so it was extremely informative for me and and just good, rich stuff, man. And it's great to see you again after all these years. And maybe we can get together sometime and you can beat me in poker. You know? <laughs> Destroy me. And, and um, uh, probably not me. <laughs> we could teach you, Zach. We can give you a, a clinic. Or Kyle could since yeah. uh, he's, he's a really good player. So <laughs> where can people find you on uh, social media, Kyle, if they want to connect with you further? Oh, I spend most of my time on Twitter. So it's just at Kyle Reynolds, K-Y-L-E-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S. Cool. On the Elon Musk hellscape. Um, <laughs> more changes coming, apparently, but who knows? We have to mention it's, him. It seems like complete chaos, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave. Hey, Zach. Wow. Reconnecting with Kyle after... 26 ish years maybe something like that we may have listeners younger than your friendship with kyle yeah, or the gap in your in your in your physical we may have listeners longer or old younger than the long distance friendship with mm -hmm. kyle that you've had. wow if anybody's listening to this and hasn't heard our episode with kevin nye a lot of similar things in here. Uh, we, we mentioned it once in the episode. Kevin wrote a, a, a wonderful book, uh, uh, Grace Will Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness. Um, listen to that episode. It's it's really wonderful. Um, I uh, look, look forward to talking to Kevin again sometime. Um, but yeah, Dave, that was that was really nice. Um, the Union Gospel Mission is like, has always been kind of a nebulous, uh, big, force in 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 our area like i always felt like yes they're helping people but i don't fully trust 
what's going on there. And uh, pretty interesting to hear that, uh, that he got fired after five years um, for not even something done at work, just expressing uh, Coats adorbs. a positive thought about uh, people's relationship. Uh, Coats adorbs. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, that is unfortunate that that happened. Maybe you can get Kyle to come out to Bremerton to see you for the 90 pound wuss show. That would be fun. It would be. I'm excited to see. I've never seen 90 pound wuss before. So this will be a first for me. It'd be a first and, for me as well. End of July, Tracy Tun Theater, Jeff Suffering, and some other bands as well. So it'll be a good time. This has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. Thank you so much for listening to us. We do have a Patreon. If you want to support the show, it is for as little as $1 a month. You can help us out. We do have day jobs, but uh, we work hard to interview guests and read books and, and book guests and all that stuff to have these conversations. So thank you in advance for your support. You can also follow us on Twitter at VCWPod. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And you can go to his website, muzak.bandcamp.com and pick up some records, some merchandise, and hear his music. Thanks again for coming on down to the VCW. And remember, as always, the podcast is free, but you still need to tithe 10%.